honestly, and I'm not one to get all touchy-feely and emotional about, like, oh, my gosh, did you see the spark out there? But in every facet of the game, anytime New Orleans had the ball, I felt like a New Orleans player was scared to have the ball at that moment. And that was from the top to the bottom. From when they stripped the uh, kick return, you know, like mm-hmm. all the, like to any time Drew Brees, you know, took a, took a snap, so... All right, uh, two weeks to talk about it, plenty of time. Everybody in the WCBN studios, we say good night and go blue. Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor, WCBN.org. Grabs on to attempt it for the Wolverines. Holds her breath, Ann Arbor, as Navarre gets set. Places down, kick is up. It's long enough. It's good! It's good! Michigan wins the game! Michigan shocks Washington, and the Wolverines are victorious! Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley and uh, Jim Dwyer has school obligations tonight, so he'll be uh, back with us next week. Uh, And uh, I'm sure early in the school term for Jim is (laughs) a little bit of a nightmare. Courses organized and whatnot with those high school students, particularly when you find out that today... The third, or the second Monday after New Year's Eve is called the most depressed day in the world. <laughs> I heard an interesting uh, discussion on this from a, a Welsh psychologist who talks, uh, explains the reason for why this is the most depressed day. Part of it's related to weather. Some of it's related to the realization that you've racked up a lot of uh, debt from Christmas, Hanukkah, and the other uh, assorted holidays around the turn of the uh, New Year. Then there's the realization that your New Year's resolutions are falling short uh, and a variety of other things. So it's very interesting. And by the way, the happiest day of the year is supposedly the 22nd of June, which of course corresponds more or less with the uh, solstice of summer. Longest days of the year. Light, by the way, helps our uh, moods immensely. So whenever possible, wear shorts in the winter. If you get some ultraviolet light on the back of your legs as uh, the swedish uh, doctors have verified you uh, mitigate the uh, effects of seasonal affective disorder well uh, a variety of things to talk about tonight real quickly on football if you didn't see the uh, afc championship game last night you missed one of the best football games in the history of the nfl college or whatever tremendous uh, a tremendous game and i think that it's 
Very interesting that, of course, the Super Bowl now features two of the first uh, African-American coaches to ever reach it. Uh, Lovey Smith of the Bears, who uh, was an assistant for Tony Dungy. And there's always been this criticism about Tony Dungy that he's not a great coach, he can't win the big games, all that nonsense. We hear some of this, by the way, about Lloyd Carr. And I hate to uh, throw, uh, be the skunk that ruins the party uh, here in Michigan because there does seem to be a sort of dump Lloyd Carr bandwagon developing, but I think this is... uh, misguided uh football coaching really is about coordinating coordinators and here at michigan it's running the program lloyd Carr does an outstanding job in these departments obviously sometimes in big games uh, michigan has fallen short but i agree with john madden football is really about players making plays uh it's not coaches that determine the outcomes of games and unfortunately sometimes officials calls determine the outcomes of uh, football games that are close and I think that the Colts actually withstood some uh, bad calls in last night's game to uh, win the game. And uh, coaching um, is obviously a, a role, and in, in, there's a role in, in uh, the outcome of the game, but uh, John Madden's analysis of football changed uh, the way people analyze football. He focused not on running backs and wide receivers, but on the line. Uh, football is really about who controls the offensive uh, line of scrimmage. And I always say that the three things that determine the outcome of games are the ability of quarterbacks to make big plays, cornerbacks to stop big plays. Uh, in fact, New England's cornerbacks last night kept them in the game. Peyton Manning was on top of his game. He had an outstanding game, regardless of what the stats showed. And uh, it's the offensive line. Michigan lost the Rose Bowl, not because of Lloyd Carr and the play calling, though I think there were some shortcomings in the play calling department. They lost the game because USC controlled the line of scrimmage. And uh, if you want my uh, prediction for the Super Bowl, barring bad weather in Miami, I think the Colts will win the Super Bowl um, handily. But uh, you never know. Uh, Injury can happen early in the game that could affect the outcome. Field conditions in Miami could be sloppy uh, that would probably benefit the Bears. So we'll see what happens, and uh, let's uh, let's root for Tony Dungy. Just uh, I, I have no uh, dog in the fight, as the saying goes. A couple of uh, <clears throat> things to talk about this night, getting back to the real issues of gray matters. And real quickly, I'm going to talk about football next week a little bit on another subject, and that's the uh, subject of concussions. Uh, There's a very interesting article about the brain damage that football players uh, suffer as a result of head injuries. And this, of course, could apply also to hockey players as well, contact sports. Um, One important uh, local event that I wanted to highlight, uh, this coming um, Sunday... At the Union Ballroom, there's going to be a talk given by the uh, what they're they're called the Scholars for 9/11 Truth, and they're going to be in Ann Arbor at the Union Ballroom at 6:30. Uh, the uh, talk is entitled "The War on Truth: 9/11 and Our Civil Rights," and uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett, Dr. Ryan, Robert Bowman, and Kevin Ryan will talk about these issues at the. Union Ballroom uh, this coming Sunday at 6.30. I'll be there. Uh, This, of course, is part of the 9-11 Truth Movement, 
And while I have some definitely lingering questions about what exactly happened on 9-11 and call for a, uh, a, a, a more thorough investigation into what happened, it's a rare event when uh, one of our colleagues here at WCBN and our friend Luis Vazquez uh, has an article in uh, the February 5th edition of The Nation magazine, the latest edition, on the very subject of the 9-11 uh, issue. I wanted to read his letter. Uh, it's only a paragraph long and also another letter uh, in connection with this event. Luis Vazquez writes, As a boy growing up in New York City, I observed the Twin Towers being constructed from my perch on Staten Island. Yeah, some perch there, Luis. A bank of steel support columns at the center held it all up. The architects anticipated that aircraft could accidentally strike the building, so they built them to withstand a hit from a Boeing 707. I am incredulous that those buildings collapsed, and the explanations I have seen do not convince me, including those in popular mechanics. The fact is that no steel frame skyscrapers on fire have collapsed before or since the collapse of the WTC buildings. Please join the demand in a real investigation until 9-11. Luis Vasquez of Ann Arbor. He, of course, is uh, close friends with Jim Dwyer, uh, uh, the former uh, host down here on uh, various shows on WCBN. Great guy. He's a union organizer here in the local area. And uh, this, of course, is sort of where I'm at. Um, I am uh, not sold on some of the government's explanations of the event. So I urge you to attend this uh, public forum at the Union Ballroom this coming Sunday at 630 wanted to read briefly from another letter in the same edition, because that's the subject of their letters to the editor. Uh, and this one, of course, is a longer piece about the uh, some of the real lingering questions that I think the public has a right to answers about. <clears throat> and it's written by James H. Fetzer um, of Oregon, Wisconsin. He points out that the melting point of steel at 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit is about 1,000 degrees higher than the maximum burning temperature of jet fuel-based fires, which do not exceed 1,800 degrees under optimal conditions. So the fires cannot have caused the steel to melt, which means that the melting of steel did not bring down the buildings. Uh, UL certified the steel in the buildings up to 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for three to four hours before it would significantly weaken, whereas the fires burned too low and too briefly at an average temperature of around 500 degrees, about one hour in the south tower and about an hour and a half in the north to have even caused the steel to weaken, much less melt. The steel had melted or weakened. The affected floors would have displayed completely different behavior with some asymmetrical sagging and tilting, which have been gradual and slow, not to complete the abrupt and total demolition of the building. William Rodriguez, the senior custodian in the North Tower and the last man to leave the building, has reported massive explosions in the sub-basements that affected extensive destruction, including the demolition of 50-ton uh, hydraulic uh, press and the ripping of the skin off fellow workers a report corroborated by the testimony of other custodians. A, um, 
Rodriguez has reported that the explosion occurred prior to the air, uh, airports, uh, excuse me, airlines impact. They claim that has now been substantiated in a new study by Craig Furlow and Gordon Ross. Seismic proof, 9-11 was an inside job which demonstrates that these explosions actually took place as much as 14 and 17 seconds prior to the airline's impact. Pools of molten steel were found at the sub-basement levels three, four, and five weeks later, an effect that could not have been produced by a plane impact jet fuel fire pancake collapse scenario, which of course implies that it was not produced by such a cause. World Trade Center Building 7 came down in a classic controlled demolition at 5.20 p.m. after Larry Silverstein, um, and by the way, he was the owner of the uh, World Trade Centers, uh, suggested that the best thing to do might be, quote, pull it, displaying all the characteristics of a classic controlled demolition, uh, complete, abrupt, and total collapse into its own footprint, where the floors are all falling at the same time and so forth, an event so embarrassing to the official account that it's not even mentioned in the 9-11 Commission report. The hit point at the Pentagon was too small to accommodate a 100-ton airliner with a 120-foot wingspan and a tail that stands uh, 44 feet above the ground. The debris was wrong for the Boeing uh, 757. No wings, no fuselage, no seats, no bodies, no luggage, no tail, which means the building was not hit by a Boeing 757. The Pentagon's own videotape does not show a Boeing 757 hitting the building, as even Bill O'Reilly admitted when it was shown on the O'Reilly Factor at 155 feet. The plane was more than twice as long as the 71-foot Pentagon is high and would have been present and visible. Quote, it was not, which means that the building was not hit by a 757. Well, these are all interesting assertions. There are arguments that uh, uh, still uh, beleaguer our society today uh, regarding some of the aspects of 9-11 and the truth. (laughs) I, of course, am an agnostic a little bit. By the way, I think that the uh, temperature at which he reports uh, the the, uh, fuel uh, burning at is a little too low in this particular letter to the editor, but the issue is it either can melt steel or it can't. And if indeed the World Trade Center buildings were built to withstand potential accidental plane crashes into the World Trade Center. Uh, More questions need to be uh, raised and answered, and I would suggest that uh, some of the uh, issues that are going to be discussed this upcoming Sunday at the Union Ballroom at 6.30 uh, may um, enlighten the public further. So I would uh, encourage all people who are interested in this subject to attend that. That is free and open to the public. And of course, the Union Ballroom is a large uh, place, so there's uh, room to accommodate quite a lot of people. This should be an interesting discussion. I continue to remain agnostic about certain aspects of the official explanation of uh, what happened on 9-11. And um, my questions are still really about uh, the connections between the uh, American government uh, and uh, Osama bin Laden. And, of course, the Pentagon, I think, has not been investigated with any um, scrupulous uh, analysis. Uh, the official American government's explanations have left me uh, questioning um, 
some of their uh, explanations. I just don't think they've been convincing. And uh, conspiracy theories about the World Trade Center, of course, uh, will not go away. There is a large body of the American public that think there was, uh, a, quote, conspiracy, unquote. And it's not, enough, it's not enough to be paranoid about these things. Of course, we know, uh, and I discussed this a little bit a couple weeks ago regarding the pardon of Richard Nixon and Watergate, that contrary to the mainstream media's assertion that this saved America from some nightmare, uh, actually the pardon short-circuited the judicial process and uh, was really a cover-up uh, that allowed uh, the total truth about Watergate uh, not to come out what was Nixon really after in Larry O'Brien's safe, etc. And uh, if you've listened to Gray Matters over the year, you know I've raised all kinds of questions, not only about the uh, assassination of Bobby Kennedy, but certainly the assassinations of Martin Luther King and uh, John F. Kennedy. And, of course, I continue to be interested in these sorts of subjects. Um, somebody once said that history is written by winners, and American history often is written by winners, uh, not people who raise uh, troubling and pesky questions about official explanations. So uh, we will see. Uh, one thing is for sure, the Iraq War history will never be written by George Bush uh, because he is a loser in every sense of the word. Uh, and uh, his uh, a new poll came out today showing that he's at an all-time uh, low in terms of public approval. And, of course, the public is increasingly doubtful about the so-called surge. I think a great car a comic uh, described the surge perfectly. It shows Bush uh, going over, about to go over a cliff uh, on a horse with the battle cry surge. Uh, even today, uh, Senate... Uh, Stalwart Republican John Warner has uh, issued a statement questioning the wisdom of the surge concept. And, of course, we've seen tragic events in the last couple, couple of days regarding Iraq and uh, what's really going on uh, regarding the violence there and the inability of the American military to solve this violence. Incidentally, I've been reading a, uh, as part of my... <laughs> rather copious uh, reading that occur in the, in the winter months uh, as the weather is uh, inadequate for a lot of outdoor activity. An interesting book called The Insurgency and the Counterinsurgency in Iraq by Ahmed S. Hashim. This is a uh, Cornell University Press book, so it's a scholarly book regarding the insurgency. And uh, I haven't finished the book. I'm halfway into it. But it strikes me that uh, one of the fundamental problems uh, that the Bush administration has regarding the problem in Iraq is its inability to understand human nature and why um, people are resisting the American occupation. At the, at the moment, I'm really only on the Sunni uh, insurgency uh, part of the problem. Uh, I realize that the Sunni, Shiite, and intra-Sunni, Shiite problem in Iraq uh, are at the heart of the matter. But as the author points out, four key values, nationalism, honor, revenge, and pride dictate the need to fight the occupation. He goes into extensive detail how uh, Saddam Hussein 
and top um, Iraqi military generals uh, realized that they could not possibly defeat the United States in any sort of conventional um, war. And uh, they, of course, knew that war was coming. They were hoping that it wouldn't, but uh, Bush was determined uh, to go to war with Iraq, uh, as all of his public statements uh, indicate, uh, even dating back to the early days after 9-11. Bush once famously said that we will go to Afghanistan, uh, you know, start a war there, but we're not going to stop there. And indeed, uh, his recent uh, primetime speech a couple of weeks ago that was, uh, I don't know, littered with uh, the blind ideological thinking of a man uh, who really has lost touch with reality. Um, I mean, this is almost starting to resemble uh, the last uh, years of Adolf Hitler as as the German army was uh, steadily uh, experiencing problems at the so-called Eastern Front with the Soviet army. And as, of course, D-Day uh, was pancaking Germany uh, from a variety of directions, including the South. I mean, it was really a three-front war, and Germany had no uh, way of defeating an alliance between the Soviet Union, the United States, and Great Britain, as well as uh, resistance fighters in uh, many of the Balkan states and the French, etc. So there were just simply too many people fighting uh, the Germans for them to win. Uh, This is uh, one of the problems in Iraq, Uh, It's not just so-called al-Qaeda in Iraq that is attacking uh, the American military. It is now a sort of panoply of insurgency groups. Uh, The BBC long ago identified as many as 17. The Bush administration continues to believe uh, naively that this is uh, sort of a a simplistic uh, problem. And uh, the author of this book, The Insurgency and Counterinsurgency in Iraq, points out that the real reason that the Sunnis early on in the American occupation uh, side uh, sort of expanded their um, insurgency tactics was their real perception of um, losing power, uh, losing influence. The author uh, basically uh, reveals that there is... uh, that Sunnis, uh, sort of a loose coalition of Arab Sunnis and Kurdish Sunnis, have have really ruled Iraq uh, for the last 400 years, and that when the British went into Iraq uh, in the uh, early 1920s and attempted to occupy Iraq, uh, they finally left, by the way, in 1958 uh, with uh, very uneven results, to say the least, This is an example of what America really is facing. And this Sunni problem uh, regarding sort of this issue of pride, revenge, um, is at the heart of the problem. This is part of human nature. The author details extensively how many of the people uh, in these various uh, Sunni areas uh, in the so-called Sunni Triangle became insurgents after the Americans uh, would, for instance, raid their houses, embarrass them personally in front of their wives and family. Um, So revenge and humiliation are big issues uh, in why the insurgency continues. 
there are certainly a group of foreign uh, insurgents that are funded and uh, supported by uh, Iran and uh, Syria, and of course many of the fighters come in through the extensive borders of Iraq that the United States simply cannot control with its uh, insufficient number of troops. The most recent Harper's Index uh, points out that the average duration in years of 130 civil wars fought worldwide since 1945, according to a Stanford professor, 11. Rank of Iraq's current civil war, among these in terms of fatalities per year, 9. So the Iraq civil war, which it is at the moment, and the Bush administration is in denial about this, and I'm sure that tomorrow night's State of the Union will continue to hear uh, further rubbish from the president uh, on this uh, subject, um, you know, is at the heart of the problem. The United States, uh, the military thinking of uh, the Pentagon and the Bush administration at the moment is just inadequate for the task. What, if Congress can stop this, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, there obviously is this problem of the continuing lies that are being uh, perpetrated on national television about how the Democrats lost Vietnam uh, or the Congress lost Vietnam because it stopped funding the troops. This is an, another historical myth uh, promoted by uh, conservative thinkers like Pat Buchanan that do not stand up to scrutiny, not, not historical scrutiny anyway. The funding, by the way, in Vietnam was really not cut off until the last year. There certainly was a robust debate about it. And, of course, the anti-war movement in America during the Vietnam years really was about the draft as much as anything. It, the, the, it was active in the, in the uh, campus uh, communities around our country, including my hometown in Ohio. I remember when the National Guard was called into my hometown in 1970, uh, when James Rhodes, the Republican governor, uh, called in the National Guard to various uh, colleges in uh, Ohio in 1970. And, of course, the result in Kent State is, is well known. Kent State, by the way, is part of America's historical um, whitewashing of history. It's been renamed Kent University. <laughs> These are the little things about American history that trouble me. I don't know why a university called Kent State that, of course, is so significant as far as the uh, tragedy of Vietnam, because this is, of course, where the National Guard of Ohio fired on protesting students at Kent State. Uh, if there indeed is a draft uh, here in the United States, we'll see the college campuses uh, once again erupt, uh, because uh, the media made a big, uh, big story out of John Kerry's uh, so-called gaffe out in California during the uh, recent congressional campaigns about staying in school. He botched a joke about George Bush, but underneath what he was saying, there was, there was an actual uh, kernel of truth, uh, stay in school. Uh, and, of course, staying in school is related to one's economic um, well-being, as we all well know. In the same edition, by the way, of The Nation magazine that I read, Luis Vasquez's interesting letter uh, regarding the 9-11 uh, controversy, there's a, a very um, timely um, article by Jeff uh, Madrick, Goodbye Horatio Alger. Uh, this is a uh, longtime intellectual who's written very interesting articles over the years, uh, particularly in the New York Review of Books regarding uh, the growing inequality in America's economic 
uh, seen. And of course, the, the key linkage is how income uh, inequality has exploded uh, since the 1980s under the tax policies of the so-called Republican tax cuts and all that um, nonsense that have not created jobs here in America per se. They've uh, actually been created mainly by private businesses that have nothing to do with, with tax cuts. It really has to do with uh, what works and what doesn't. Housing, of course, has been hot as a, uh, as a uh, economic area of job growth in the last uh, decade under the so-called housing boom. That has nothing to do with tax uh, rates. And we hear this tax-cutting uh, mania still here in uh, the state of Michigan. I'd like to point out that California and Massachusetts have some of the highest state tax rates in America, and they have robust job creation uh, because of their universities, uh, because of education. And this uh, article, which I'll return to probably in further detail in an upcoming show of Gray Matters, talks uh, about the linkage between education levels and uh, income um, well-being the Horatio Alger uh, quote myth is really about the <clears throat> fact that uh, now, uh, the based on a uh, data of the past few years, an economist at the Federal Bank of Chicago argued that 60% of a son's income is determined by the level of the income of the father, uh, which he uh, puts as a shocking number, and for women it's uh, roughly the same. So uh, where you're born, who your parents are, is a bigger determinant uh, to how you end up in life than just about anything. So we'll talk about more, that, uh, more about that subject uh, in an upcoming show uh, because it needs more treatment. Now, um, we're just about out of time, so let me quickly give out a brain damage award to the Fox News Network. I, of course, don't watch Fox <laughs> really at all other than maybe the month before the election because I like to see how they're spinning things. But uh, they had a, a story over the weekend, uh, I guess today and yesterday, regarding some nonsensical story that Barack Obama was uh, educated in a madras in Indonesia and that the source of the, of the story was Hillary Clinton. Well... All of this is proven false. Uh, Rupert Murdoch, of course, owns the Fox News Network uh, through his uh, multinational media corporation, as well as the New York Post. Um, they've been promoting this story. And this story, of course, is a pack of lies. And it's part of the typical smear campaigns that, uh, well, the Republican Party probably need. The presidential race, by the way, will be a very interesting uh, thing in both parties because you have... Uh, a lot of candidates with a lot of different uh, things to offer the public. Debates will probably determine uh, the outcome of the Democratic nominee. I think that uh, while Hillary Clinton is currently, quote, in the lead, she's got problems uh, regarding her uh, the perception of electability. Obama, by the way, has slid quite a bit. I mean, he's currently ranked at 18% of the Democrats. That's about that's less than 10% of the American people. Uh, so he's going to have to win the nomination legitimately through a combination of performing in debates, fundraising, and uh, media buzz. But he's he's thrived on the media buzz, but uh, 
John Edwards is probably the other rock star that's in the Democratic race so far. And I think that it's interesting that Bill Richardson announced an exploratory committee over the weekend because I would view him as a sort of strong dark horse 